Good morning. Man, nice cloudy, rainy day. How many of you guys just wanted to like lay in bed and drink some coffee and sleep in? That's what I wanted to do, but, but there's this thing that we do. So I thought, you know what? <laughs> I love the cloudy, rainy weather. I couldn't, I'm from Portland, Oregon. Many of you guys know that. And, and, it, and it's like this every single day. And so when it happens here, every once in a while, I get all nostalgic and I'm like, oh, you know, that's so great. But I couldn't live there all the time. I am so grateful for the weather we have here in Albuquerque. I think Albuquerque is one of the best kept secrets out there. Uh, you know, like the weather's fantastic. Um, the humidity's low. There's no bugs. You look at the, I mean, we got scorpions and black widows, but those are overrated. And so the sandias are right there. I tell you what, Albuquerque is one of the best places to live. It really, really is. I got one quick announcement before we get into uh, the message today. And, um, and that announcement is that we're having a family meeting coming up. And so uh, this is something where um, we're just going to talk. Uh, if, you're, if this is your church home, you're invited to come. Um, it, it's going to be just kind of more informational about kind of like some of the stuff we're doing as a church, how the budget works, where things are standing in different areas of the, of the facility and, and of the property, kind of where we're at as a church now, where we're headed and where we're going. Um, it's going to be a little more businessy kind of meeting, but, but um, if, if you are, you are, everybody's invited to come and, and, uh, and hang out and come talk, and, and we'll do it right here at the church um, for about an hour on um, Sunday night, March 8th, and so that's coming up, and so I want to invite everyone to come and, and take a look at that. Um, we also um, will be talking about our eldership and and bylaws and, you know, all the fun, exciting things, you know, that churches have to talk about, but are also very important. So we will be talking about those things at that meeting. If, and so if, you, if that kind of stuff uh, interests you, you should absolutely come and hang out and check it out. Uh, and so anyhow, um, if you are a guest here this morning, uh, my name is Matt. We haven't met yet. My wife, Amber, and I are the pastors here. We'd love to get to know you. Um, you, can, you can say hi to us in the lobby. We'll be hanging out after the service. You can also text in and, and say hi that way. We'd love to make new friends, and so you can text in to the office. Uh, you can also, um, this is the same time we're going to receive tithes and offerings, and, and so if you wanted to give electronically, you can do that through the same platform, um, or there's also um, drop boxes throughout the building if that's more convenient for you. Uh, but let's pray over the tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your generosity and how much you have blessed us, and God, you have blessed us to be a blessing. God, as we are good stewards of the resources you've given us, God, um, we... Um, we just give back to you the tithe, and, and so God, I ask that everywhere that this, these finances go, they would be blessed by you, and God, that everywhere, every person that Im impacts, God, would, would, um, would get to know you, God, that it would be something that uh, is a tool to be used in your kingdom right here in Albuquerque and everywhere in the world that it goes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so guys, we are in a series called Promises. Promises, promises, promises. You know, it's interesting in, in, in talking about marriage and dating and relationships and how do you build a solid relationship and what does the Bible have to say about marriage and, and promises. And, and, uh, and so you guys know we've been doing um, pickup lines, you know, uh, that we've been talking about church pickup lines. Uh, but, but guys, I, I thought, you know, just in case maybe you're in a relationship that isn't going the direction it should be and you're dating, um, then you need to know some breakup lines too. <laughs> right? You got to get down some breakup lines. So I, I grabbed a couple for you and I thought these are, these are good ones. And so here we go. Is it hot in here or is this relationship suffer, suffocating me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. That was rough. Yeah. Here's one that's really rough and I, I apologize in advance. Hey, baby, are you being followed? followed? Because I've been seeing people behind your back. 
Whoa, so not good, not good. Okay, that did not go over as well <laughs> as I thought it would. You know, girlfriend says to boyfriend, one of my, one of my ex-boyfriends sounds a lot like an owl. And the boyfriend goes, who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> girlfriend, your ex-girlfriend is so attractive. The boyfriend, which one? This one. <laughs> Yes, just in case, in case you were in a bad dating relationship and you needed to get out, there's a little uh, advice, a little help for you there. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was reading and I, I saw that in last year, there were a ton of people that got married. And uh, this stat is, is surprising. 4,153,237 people got married last year. Wait, wait, 237. Shouldn't that be an even number? <laughs> And you know, if, if you're going to have a strong, successful marriage, you've got to be able to do things for your significant other. And so I cook for my wife occasionally, and I treat her like a god when I cook. I prepare burnt offerings for her. <laughs> you guys, we're in this series on marriage. i got to do a little bit of a poll. How many of you guys are married? Let me see your hands. How many guys are married? Look at that, all these married people around. How many of you guys are single and want to get married? Can you see your hands up in the air? Really? That's it? Okay, we got a few. we got a few. Look around and you can maybe find somebody. I'm just kidding. A little dating service in the church. You know, here's what's interesting. How many of you guys, when, whether you're single or married, how many of you guys plan on committing adultery in your marriage? Oh, Nobody? Nobody. Oh, how about, how about becoming emotionally detached and distant from your spouse, creating a loveless marriage? Anybody? And no. No. How about addicted to, to pornography? Anybody thinking I'm going to be? Boy, no, no hands are up on that poll. That's interesting. Did you know that, that nobody really plans on those things, but yet those things happen? Nobody plans on those things, but yet those things happen in marriages all the time. Nobody plans on having a side chick or a side guy, but it happens all the time. You know, the stats would say that, 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 um, that many people, even in the room here, are probably addicted to porn based on the stats. It shows that, that it's not a man-only thing. In fact, many women also view porn multiple times within a week. It, it is not a male-only challenge that we face in our culture. It's something that's there. And, and that stuff sows seeds into your marriage and into your relationship that cause massive destruction over time. Nobody plans, nobody plans on shipwrecking their marriage with sin, but it happens all, all the time. You know, people, when you're single, you'll think, well, I'll just change my behaviors once I get married. I can live this way now, but as soon as I put a ring on the finger, then everything's going to change in my life. Unfortunately, it is very, very difficult to build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. If you are a single person here today, I beg you to start to change your foundation to be a foundation of righteousness so that you have something to start to build upon once you do get married. And for those of you who are married, if you have unrighteousness that's been in your past, you've got to clean that up and, and, and stop those kinds of behaviors. And this is important because people are scared of getting married. They're scared of it. And they have good reason to be scared. Single people are scared because over half of marriages end in divorce. And they think, well, why would I do this? I mean, we, every marriage is intended on being successful and thriving, but, but I'm terrified to do this. And so this is the pattern that we see. And people in their own defense mechanism, this is what they say. They say that they're now dating. This is the average. They date for 17 months. 
And then they live together after that for 22 months. And then they get engaged, and their engagement period on average lasts 20 months. For a total of 59 months, it's almost five years from the time that they start dating till the time that they finally get married. And why do they put those extra steps in there? Because they're terrified of ending in divorce and terrified of ending in this painful, painful way. And they don't want to end that way, so they think, I'm going to take these protective measures. The problem is, is that um, it doesn't actually change the outcome. Still 50% of marriages are ending in divorce. And, and now when you look at it, it's almost like the stat would be higher because they're kind of playing marriage before they actually make it a marriage. And so how many times are people getting to the place of, of living together for two years and then breaking up? And that's almost like a two-year marriage that fell apart. The stats are almost even higher than that, but there's no way to track that data right now. They don't have surveys for that. You know, so 53% of marriages end in divorce, and a lot of the ones that stay together have lost the love and the passion. I want to tell you that it is absolutely possible to have a love-filled, passionate marriage even after all of the years of marriage. It doesn't have to end that way. And there are, there are ways, that you, things that you can do. In fact, the Bible even talks about and gives us examples of how to build a marriage that is full of passion and love and intimacy even after all of the years of marriage. There are people that are married for 10, 20, 30 years, even beyond that have, still have a passionate, uh, fantastic marriage. It is possible. It is possible you got to do some things maybe that are not normal in order to get those results. But if normal is ending in divorce or a, a loveless marriage, then I don't want normal. And when we look around the world, they say, gee, living that Christian life, what the Bible says to live, that isn't normal. That's right. But if you want an unusual result, you have to take some unusual actions. You can't just do the same pattern that everybody else is doing and expect different results. You've got to pursue life the way that God has done it. It's interesting, we look to our creator, the one who made us, and he gave us the Bible, which is the owner's manual for life. If you have a question about how your car is made or what the buttons do or the lights mean, you go to the owner's manual, the one who created that car to figure out how this thing operates to its peak efficiency. I'm going to tell you, we look to the Bible to be able to see how does God design life so that we might operate at peak efficiency, the way that he built us and designed us. If you want what everyone else has, just keep doing what everyone else does. And so we have been using this as a launching point for um, this entire series is in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 2 verses 24 and now we're even going to add 25. And so we started here, and it says this, that this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife are both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Now we talked about the united part, about how we've got to be bonded together. But today I want to talk about this. They were both naked and they felt no shame. The, the, the Bible wasn't written in English. Many of you know that. But if you didn't, this section of the Bible was written in Hebrew thousands and thousands of years ago. And when you translate the word of shame over from from uh, Hebrew into English, sometimes there's a little bit of a, a translation. It's interesting to dive deep into some of the root words. And so the word was, was bush, it was shame. And it means to be ashamed of or to feel completely worthless. And isn't that how you feel when you're ashamed of something? You feel worthless. You feel like, like you've been devalued as a person because of this action that maybe you took 
and you knew you shouldn't have, or maybe somebody else took against you. And, and when you're ashamed of something, you, you have this worthlessness that can kind of come across. You feel almost embarrassed maybe, or, or maybe even, even dirty of, of what happened in, in life. These guys were naked and they felt no shame. Today we are in week number four of our series and our week of number four of this, and we have these promises that we've been doing today is the promise of purity. The promise of purity. And the promise that, we are, uh, pro- that I'm proposing for you today is this, is I promise to confide in you, not hide from you. I, I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. When my kids were little, they had no shame about their nakedness. You know the little guys that, that sometimes when they're you know, two years old, like, they, they have no shame in their nakedness. In fact, I hear stories of many times of kids that have naked time at home where they come home and they, they just run around the house naked. Nothing immoral about it at all, just the pure innocence of a child of, of naked time. They don't feel bad about walking uh, across the house naked or anybody in the family seeing them naked. And, and as parents, you have to tell them, right? You have to tell them, listen, don't do naked time with anybody. Like, like you can't just do naked time anywhere, right? You have to tell them, like, like listen, this is only okay here's some boundaries like you gotta because you realize like their freedom and their lack of shame that they have in life is so free and innocent that you think i have got to help put boundaries on these little guys otherwise this is going to be awkward for everyone and so we've got to you know could you imagine in your small group if the kid came running around the corner it's naked time and the whole small group's like oh my gosh you know you you know you got to put boundaries on on the kids it's so funny and so if you if you look in genesis chapter 3 verse 7 Adam and Eve in there, and he says, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was naked because, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You know, Adam was saying, someone's got to wear the plants in this family. (laughs) Yes, I know, I'm sorry. Yes, don't leave. It's funny how shame can play that role on us, though, right? We want to hide. Have you ever caught your kid eating the chocolate that you told them not to eat? They've got chocolate on their lips and on their face. You're like, have you been eating the chocolate? No, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me, and they're backing up. Or how about when you're potty training the kid? And if you don't have kids, I'm sorry. You're just going to get kid stories today. But, but you know, if, if you're potty training the kid and they're wearing the diaper, but you're trying to get them to go to the bathroom, and then, and then you look over and you can tell, like you can tell they're doing it right there in the diaper, a little bit of a grunty face. And you're like, are you, are you, are you, are you feeling that diaper? And they're like, no. And they back into the corner and they're like, oh, no, I got busted. You know what I'm talking about? The kids that they, they, you have the shame, right? And they're like, they know they got caught for what they were doing and they want to back up and they're like, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. The chocolate on their face or the diapers sagging or, you know, and, and you're, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, it's funny, even as adults, we do the same thing. When we find ourselves in trouble, find ourselves doing something that we shouldn't be doing, if we, we know that we're guilty, wasn't me, wasn't me. I'm backing up, I'm not gonna do it. Look at every politician in the news, every celebrity in the news. When someone points a finger, it's like, wasn't me, wasn't me, no, no. You know? And you don't know who's right and who's wrong anymore because everybody just denies everything all the time. And, and, and that's our human nature. That's what we do. We, we, we want to push it away. We want to we act like it didn't happen. We want to back ourselves into the corner. No, don't look back here. You can't see what's in my diaper, right? You don't, you don't want to know. And, and, and the shame is what we, what we face in there. We do something wrong. 
and we feel shame. And here's what happens. If Satan comes against you and says, your actions are your identity. And that isn't what God's word says. That is a lie from the pit of hell that your actions are your identity. In fact, next week we're starting a brand new series called Lies. From, and, and I'm, well, I'm not sure what they're going to call it yet. We're still working that out. Maybe liar, liar, pants on fire. I don't know. But we'll call it something. But there are lies that the enemy tells us all the time. And that we start to believe. But we've got to confront those lies with what the word of God says. So that we understand who we are and who God has made us to be. And this is one of those lies that Satan comes and says that your actions are your identity. Yeah, were your actions wrong and bad? Sure, they were, absolutely. Should you change them? Absolutely. But your identity is not based on that. Your identity is based on who God says that you are, who the person that created you says that you are, not what your actions are in this world. And God wants to transform you, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so that your actions aren't who you are. Who you are is a son or a daughter of the Almighty God. That's who you are. And so as you are wrestling with potentially your actions that you're wrestling with, even today as you sit in this room, those actions aren't your identity. Those actions aren't your identity. You maybe have done something bad, but you are not someone bad. You are a son and daughter of the almighty God. And then we start to think that the only way that we can be safe from these bad actions is to hide, is to keep it a secret. You don't let anyone know that that's what happens. And that's what happens. We show up at church and we've got our God bless you, brother, and good to see you, sister, face on, and hallelujah, and the Lord is good. And we, we can put on our church face with our church clothes. And, and I don't hold that against you, but, but what happens is in the midst of our shiny exterior facade that we can so easily step into, you can show up to work with your life is good and grand when you know it isn't. And you can show up everywhere in, in life and you can, you can put the facade on even though you know that there's stuff going on bad in the background and you can wear that thing and so you think the only way to be safe is to hide and to keep it a secret. I can't let him know. I can't let her know. And in marriage, that's a problem. I can't let him know my secret battles. I can't let her know my secret battles. The problem in marriage is that secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. That secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. If you are going to be intimate with somebody, you have to be transparent. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Secrecy is the enemy of transparency. For those of you who have been here for all four weeks, you've heard all the different promises, but, but maybe you're here and, and you've only caught one or, or two of, of the weeks. I, I got to do a quick recap so you understand this, that promise number one was the promise of priority, the promise of priority. And we, we, we talked about how this idea that I promise that God will be my first and my spouse will be my second. Because if you put your spouse in your first position, you will expect something from them that only God can deliver into you. And so you have to have God as your number one and your spouse as your number two. 
Now, you don't want your spouse to slip to three or four either. They've got to be at your number two. You've got to have your priorities right in your life. But when you put God number one, you find your life source and your identity and who you are in God. And if both people are doing that, you can come together and you can create a beautiful, amazing marriage. But if you're trying to find your identity and your life source from a flawed human in your spouse, you will be disappointed at times and it will cause some toxicity to come in to your relationship. Two incompletes don't make a whole, despite what the TV tells you, despite what the movies and pop culture and the songs. My dad used to say, two sickies don't make a welly, you know? And, um, and it, it, you know, so you are not perfect and your spouse is not perfect, but you find your completion in Christ so that you can be perfect in that sense and then you can become one flesh. And so you get your promise of priority. Number two, week two is our promise of pursuit. I promise I will always pursue my number two. I promise that I will always pursue my number two. Our natural reaction is to pursue the things that we don't have. And then once we have them, there's a temptation to stop pursuing them. And when it comes to your spouse, you must always pursue your number two. You can't stop pursuing your number two. You must treat them like you, have, like you don't have them yet. You must do these things. Remember when you were dating and you wrote those those poems. I tried writing a poem or two. It was, it was terrible. I tried to write a song and, and it, was, it was not good. It was, it was not good. But I sent flowers for no reason at all. Guess what? I still occasionally send flowers for no reason at all. And I write sticky notes and I find them still, even to this day, I will walk by and see a sticky note that I wrote to my wife sticking on a mirror or someplace in the house. And, and, I, and she hangs on to those things because they mean something. And, and you got to constantly be there. you got to be pursuing your number two. Don't stop pursuing. The promise number three is a promise of partnership. Our, I promise that our marriage will be about we and not me. The promise of partnership. And we talked about equally submitting to one another in a marriage relationship. And today is the promise of purity. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. The promise of purity. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. So what do we do with all this? Because we're imperfect. We have problems. We make mistakes. Our natural reaction is to hide and to, to, to act like it didn't happen, but it did happen. And so how do you act this out? How do you walk this out? And I think part of this is seeing what Scripture has to say and how this applies. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at a few verses in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Have you ever had the contrast of the dark? to the light. You know, have you ever, you go out of the movie theater, right? It's been dark in the movie theater for all this time. Have you ever walked out the side door just right to the outside of the, the fire exit type door? And if it's sunny outside, you open that door and immediately it's like, oh man, the shock of the sun rays burning my retinas and, and, and it hurts almost. And, and the contrast from the dark into the light is what happens. You know, I don't feel that way going into the theater. I only feel that way if I run out of the theater. And you know why? It's because when I'm outside and I walk into the lobby, it's a little bit darker, but not a lot darker. 
And then I'm buying my tickets, and as I'm walking down the hall, I turn the corner past a ticket maker to go, ticket taker to go back down the hall. It's a little bit darker. And then you finally go into the theater room. You go in, the lights are on, but, and it, but, but it's still a little bit darker. You have a seat. The previews start, before the previews start playing, the lights come down to halfway dim. And then you're watching some previews. And then by the end, the lights are totally dim, turned off by the time the movie starts. Because your transition from light into darkness was a gradual move that wasn't as shocking. For many of us, we have drifted gradually into darkness, not intentionally, not because, and, and the enemy knows that if he preaches it as a sharp adjustment, that we will instantly see it, it will shock us, and we'll be like, whoa, wait a minute. Let me explain it to you this way. You've watched the movies where at one point in time there was content on the movie that would have shocked you, but today you'll watch that same movie and it doesn't shock you anymore. The violence, the sex, the, the whatever it might be, the, the foul language, the things that at one time would have shocked you don't anymore because we've conditioned ourselves, we've calloused ourselves, we've gradually walked ourselves into to, to darkness, with, with, not only in an instant, but over time. That can happen in every area of our life where we are now having darkness around us. And, and then I'm telling you that once you step back into the light, there's a contrast. Verse number nine, live as children of light. Number nine, for the fruit of light consists of all, in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You know, you'll never find healing in the dark. You'll never find healing in the dark. It's not until you confess what's in the darkness and bring it into light that you'll find healing. I find that shame also grows best in the darkness. It's like the mold that wants a certain environment. The lack of light, high humidity, mold will grow quickly in those environments. It's the same thing with, with shame. The lack of light is an environment for it to start to grow better. In order for you to kill the shame, you have to do what your, is opposite of what your gut reaction is. Your natural reaction is to keep it hidden. But if you want to find healing, you've got to expose it. You've got to expose it. You'll never find healing in the dark because secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Because secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. In fact, if you take this same section in Ephesians 5 and back up to verse 3, it says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. What is impurity? It's a poison. It's something that's in the water that shouldn't be there. You know, when, when, you, when you have a, a question about your water quality, you understand that if the water quality in your home is bad, that you could have adverse effects on your body. If you have higher levels of things, you can't even taste it because you've been drinking the water for so long. You have it tested. They realize you've got a problem. Now they've got to put filters and, and, and things in place to, to purify that water that you are now going to drink. You don't want a hint of impurities in your water because you're going to put that into your body. You don't want a hint of impurity anywhere that you're going to put into your body, whether it's through your eyes or, or through the things you listen to or, or, or the things that you, you eat or, 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 or smell or taste. You don't want to have impurity anyway. You know, we, we, we think about, I'm not going to have a, an affair in my marriage. And so you think the line for adultery is over here. 
You're like, okay, the line for adultery is here, and, and we think, I'm just not going to cross that line. The problem is this, is that there are lines before that line. And, and, and if you start crossing lines, the, you see the, the thing is that when you um, cross the line of adultery, you, you don't see it or feel it or hear it as much because you've been slowly getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And the darkness has slowly crept down like a movie theater until you get to the place where it doesn't even seem like that big of a deal anymore to take that last and final step. And then someone flips the light on and your sin's been exposed and you realize the contrast of what you did versus where you should have been. So there's lines in the middle of this, you know? And so what happens before the, the physical act of, of adultery? Well, there's an emotional affair that happens. And, and before the emotional affair, there's some harmless flirtation around the office that isn't that big of a deal. And, 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 and then there's, there's, there's lines, and, and then there's lines and what you're thinking about and what you're talking about with your friends. And, and then you're thinking about and you're looking at stuff online, and then you're exposing yourself to things and uh, different kinds of, of genres of things that you're feeding yourself because what you feed grows. And if you're feeding that, 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 the, the, the sexual desires of you, the unhealthy ones that, that are reaching outside of your marriage by, by looking at what you're going to look at online and the, the, the stats are in that, that, that porn is everywhere. So if you're looking at that stuff, you're feeding and planting seeds that will eventually lead down that path. Gee, Matt, you're being kind of extreme about this. I'm not. In fact, I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That sounds extreme. No, no, no. What Jesus is saying is that you say the line is here of the actual act of adultery. But what Jesus is saying is that you've got to back this thing up. Because the second you start crossing this line, you are headed towards that line. And you can't be doing that. In fact, the seeds that you're sowing on these lines headed towards that line um, are, are, are just as hurtful. Maybe not just, but they're still hurtful in your marriage. They will continue to cause division and problems in your marriage. There's no such thing as harmless flirting with someone else if you're married there's there's not there's there's no such thing as a harmless fantasy with somebody else while you're married there's not and what are you feeding yourself are you reading are you reading romance novels of fantasizing about this 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 fabio on a horse with no shirt on all the ladies are like uh you're an idiot i get it i get it. we're good we're good i don't know i'm a dude right but but dudes are you looking online about something that's unattainable like, are you looking at Instagram models and, and, and YouTube models and, and thinking like, oh, that's what I wish my, my ideal woman would look like? That, that stuff is so fake and Photoshopped, you don't even know. They starve themselves for three weeks just to get that one photo, and then they, they, they carbo-load and they bloat out. And, you know, it's just, it's exactly what, you know, it, it's fake. It's fake. It's all fake. It, it's fake. I read an article about, the, about this whole idea in my sermon research about, about like the modeling industry and, 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 and what the women have to go through in order to get the perfect picture. And then it's basically torture that they will torture themselves for weeks leading up to the um, photo shoot. They'll do the photo shoot and then they can go back to living their normal life and they will, they will shed these unreal pounds. And then even after they torture themselves to this, 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 this place, they still take the, Photoshop, the, 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 the photo and run it through Photoshop to make it something even more unrealistic. Right? It's, it's not realistic. And so I just know that for, for men, the eyes um, are the gateway because men are very visual. And so I know with men, if you're looking at that stuff, you are now expecting um, a spouse, your spouse, to be something that is literally impossible. 
And you're going to sow these seeds, just like Jesus said, looking lustfully at somebody else. You're sowing the seeds and starting yourself down the path towards adultery. You will train wreck your marriage. You will train wreck your relationship. If you find yourself starting to go that route, turn the lights on and get back out. You've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to do it. There are so many lines before the adultery line. See, the line of sin is in the wrong place. It's not just physical, it's emotional, it's mental. And, and it can be justified. I'm not committing adultery. I just looked at that person in the gym. I'm not committing adultery. I just thought about what would it be like to be with that person at the office. I'm not committing adultery. Just reading the romance novel with Fabio on the horse. <laughs> Jesus was kind of extreme in this way. I mean, he said, like, if, you're, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You know, they actually had punishment back then. If you stole something, they would cut your hand off. Walk around all stumpy everywhere that you go. Everybody knows that you're a thief. Went to a men's small group this week. Went to one-armed cyclopses in there. I'm kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, like, like it's, it seems so extreme, right? But, but I'm telling you that it starts in the mind and what you think about. Guard your thoughts because, because your thoughts become uh, words and your words become actions. Yeah. And it just starts to grow and grow and grow. And so when God says, when Jesus says, hey, listen, that first step is the one that you need to, don't cross that line. You don't want to cross this one, then don't cross this one. Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon wrote this in Proverbs, and he says, keep, keep, to keep a path far from her. This is the um, scandalous woman he is saying. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. No secrets. Can you have a marriage with no secrets? None at all. Can you put boundaries in place? You know, I have boundaries in my own life that seem unusual to the world that we live in. And, and at times, it will be almost awkward for other people around me. One of them is this, is I, will, I will never meet with a woman alone. It won't happen, right? And, and it's, is it because, you know, that woman's now offended? And I mean, listen, it's not about that. I don't care who you are. That line is, is over here. And it's not about you. It's about me. And it's about what God's word says. Don't cross the, the line far enough away. If I'm going to meet with a woman, it'll be at the church. There'll be other people in the building. We will be in the lobby in a wide open space that, that anybody could just walk in because, um, because of that. You know, if, if you have something serious you want to talk about, my wife will be in the room with me, right? We, we were going to, you know, because honestly, if it's something that's that serious, she's the expert on that, not me, right? Like when it, when it comes into the life of a woman, right? So I, I know these things. I have these boundaries in place. We were talking about this as our family this week. And, and uh, you know, it's funny is Google knows everywhere that I'm at. And so does Apple, so does the whole internet knows everywhere that I'm at at all times. You know why? Because I've got one of these things in my pocket and probably listening to me and everything and targeting ads and, and everything else. We have this app, it's a family app thing, and it's designed so that we can track the kids. You know, um, it actually tracks me and tracks Amber and, and tracks everything. And, and I was telling her, we were having this conversation, I was like, it's so weird. It's just weird to me. Like, like everywhere that I go, I'm being tracked. You know, it's like everyone knows everything. And it's, but you know what it is? It's transparency. There's no secrecy in there. You know, I, I've told her, just don't judge me on how fast that I drive. 
because it, it shows that. But, you know, because it shows, like, I showed up at this place. I was here for X amount of time. And then when I left there, I went to this place. The speed limit was 45, but he went 55, you know. And, and, and uh, you know, whatever it might be, like, it shows all these different things in, in this app. I was looking through it. I was like, dang, there's a lot of details here that are there. My, 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 my life is, is tracked, and, and my wife can see anywhere that I'm going. It seems kind of weird. Isn't that really a way of life that, you know what? I'm grateful for it. Because I never in a million years went across this line over here. And so if I can put boundaries over here that know where I'm tracked, where I'm going, what I'm doing, then I know that, that there's an accountability structure on this end of the spectrum that will help me from not going to that end of the spectrum. If you are struggling in these kinds of areas men or women, this is not a gender-specific thing at all, men or women, you are struggling in these areas, what levels of accountability can you put into place on this side of the spectrum to make sure that you don't go to that side of the spectrum? Because in secrecy, the shame will grow. And in secrecy, you will self-medicate your shame with more bad behavior. Your shame gets hungry, and it wants some friendship. And, and you will continue to do these things and meddle in these areas because it, it, it feeds you and it, and it feeds that, 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 that side of you that, that you know you don't want to go down because you know it's going to hurt people. So how can we stay pure? How, how can we do this? In Psalms 119, David, <laughs> David writes this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. By living according to your word. If God, the creator of the universe, who created you and me and made this world, has an owner's manual on how to live life, when we stay and adhere to what God's word says, we can stay pure. Verse 10, I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart, and and I might not sin against you. And David is one, and you start to look at David. David is a guy who, um, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. And he, he, he's a guy that struggled with purity. He's a guy that struggled with it. At one point in his life, he, he literally had one of his commanders. He was a king. He had one of his commanders killed because he was cheating on his commander's wife, got his commander's wife pregnant. And, and then he had his commander killed and then brought her in as, as his wife in order to try to cover up and hide the sin and the shame. The same guy who, who deals with purity in his own personal life on a deep level is writing this verse. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? He himself had a hard time staying on the path of purity. And he knew the answer by living according to your word. You know, it's interesting when you feed yourself God's word, and when you follow God's word, and when you really follow and listen and study what God's word has to say The things that once attracted you will will then start to repulse you. Because when you have the light of God's word shining into your life, the contrast of light and darkness is there. And and then the darkness feels really awkward and uncomfortable. What was once a slow, dimmer fade in, because sudden the flashlight of God's word comes in and shines light, all of a sudden it repulses you. It's like being at a nightclub with the fluorescent lights on. I imagine at night that those places don't look so bad. But during the day with fluorescent lights on, 
they're pretty filthy on the inside. I was an electrician for many years. I installed stuff and I had to go into some nightclubs during the day at off hours and work on stuff. There were times that the lights would, would be bright in there and I'd come in and do electrical work and I'd be like, ugh, this place is nasty, you know? And, and, but you can't see it because the lights are out. When you cut out the things that are impure in your life for a season of time and then you try to go back to them, it's repulsive. Cut sugar out of your diet for six months and then try to drink a soda. What was once something you consumed on a regular basis is now bleh, because your body is now adjusted to not having sugar in your diet. It's so sweet. It is like repulsive. Cut something out of your diet for six months and then see what happens. Eat nothing but clean food and nothing but organic, whatever, free-range broccoli and, and, you know, whatever the stuff is. Right? You eat nothing but organic, cleanest diet you can possibly eat, and then go get like a Big Mac or something, right? You're like, oh, man, I used to eat this. This is like chemicals in a bun. What is this, you know? And, and like if you cut that stuff out, it's the light and the darkness. The stuff that was once not a big deal becomes a big deal. What was once something that attracted you now repulses you. When you shine your light, turn the light of God's word into your life, it changes the culture inside of your heart. And as you're transformed into the image of Christ, those things become repulsive. It's interesting is, um, as, as a pastor, uh, my dad taught me this. And he told me this, and he says, hey, if you're going to be a pastor, which a few years ago, that happened. It was one of those things where, where it was like, hey, you got you to gotta think about the lines that you don't want to cross in life. What, what are the lines as a pastor you don't want to cross in life, right? You don't, you you don't want to cross the line of adultery, especially for my, my own personal life. But then you think about the consequences of a pastor crossing some of these lines. And you hear about it. Pastors who fail morally. Pastors who get hooked on drugs, pastors who, who do these really crazy, and they're, it's super hurtful to everyone who's around them and who's in their churches and the ministries that they have. It, it hurts so many people when the pastors do this. And so my dad said this, he says, here's the thing, the second you even start to think that you're going to be tempted on this kind of stuff, imagine this, imagine having to sit down with your wife and say, hey, I did this thing. And this is what I've done. Imagine sitting down with your congregation and saying, this is what's happened. And, and think, how is that going to impact everyone around you? Imagine sitting down with your kids and saying, I did this thing that is now going to be hurting our family. And, and, and now the amount of untold hurt and pain that you would cause in so many people's lives for what? A moment of selfishness? hiding your shame when it was an infant tiny thing and allowing it to grow into this massive thing inside of your life? When you start to look at what God has blessed you with and start to think that I could lose it all in a moment because of my shame that I've been hiding in my secrecy. You see, your secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Your secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Of intimacy. Proverbs 28 says that whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So confessing our sin, anybody want to do it today? No? Right? We don't want to, right? That's not something that we want to do. 
We, and so here's what, what God's word says, that we confess it to God and to one another. We confess our sin to God and to one another. We confess our sin to God for forgiveness, but then we confess to one another to find healing from what's happened. You see, it says that he is faithful and just. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of unrighteousness. We confess it to God because of that. And we confess it to people because we confess our sins to one another. And and, and we pray for one another that you might be healed. You won't find healing in the dark. Because that's the environment that the shame wants to grow in. You've got to shine the light on it which is the most uncomfortable and awkward way to deal with it. It's not our natural reaction, but it's the way that we'll find healing and you can eradicate the shame and eradicate the negative behaviors and patterns in our life. You don't find healing in the dark. You find it through, conf- through confession. And my hope for you is this, is that in your marriages that, that you might find the courage to confess to your spouse those things that maybe you haven't crossed the 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 line far over here, but maybe you've toyed with a couple of them over here. May you find the courage to confess to your spouse, I've been dealing with this in secrecy and I don't want to deal with this in secrecy anymore and I want to have this eradicated from my life. And may you, the receiver of that confession, although everything in you might want to throw something Um, maybe yell and raise your voice. May you have the grace and the mercy of Christ in your heart to be able to help them. Because they're not confessing this because they got caught. They're confessing this because they want to find healing. And you might be the agent of miracle in this person's life. May you handle that with grace. May you handle that with with mercy. How much grace and mercy has the Lord shown you that you might be able to show to the person that you love the most? You don't find healing in the dark. May we be children of light, no longer living in darkness. How can we stay pure? Living according to God's word. So as we wrap up this series May those four principles be something that we carry all the way through. Number one, God is our one and spouse is two. We always pursue what my number two, keep chasing the thing that we already have. Marriage is not about me, but it is about we. It's not a contract, it's a covenant that we're in. And may we confide in each other and not hide from each other and have transparency and no secrets in our relationships. This seems like an unusual way of living life. It seems like an unusual way of of doing things. But if you want what nobody has, you gotta do what nobody's doing. And if you want normal, do what everybody else is doing. I don't want normal because I want a thriving, passionate marriage. An unusually passionate marriage requires unusual behaviors. Will you bow your heads? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for everyone that's here today. God, we want to have a marriage of purity. Give us the courage, Lord, to confess our sins to one another. Give us the grace to receive those confessions. God, for those here this morning, maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. 
Maybe the first one we talked about is, is having, has, having God as my number one priority. Maybe that has never been you, or maybe that was you once long ago and you've walked away. Today can be the day where you put Jesus first in your life. And I can, this today can be that day where you say, no, I'm gonna dedicate or maybe rededicate my life and put my priorities straight. You see, following Jesus and making him the priority of your life is as simple as A, B, C. A is that you admit to God that you're a sinner. B, you believe that Jesus Christ is God's son and you accept God's gift of forgiveness from sin. And C, you confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior and Lord. Church, we're gonna pray together because I don't think anybody should pray alone. And if that's where you're at, I want you to pray with us and, and mean it really from the bottom of your heart. So church, will you just pray after me? Dear Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. I believe that you are the son of God. And I confess you are Lord, that you died on the cross and you rose from the grave and paid for my sins. Today, I choose to surrender everything Today, I choose to follow you. Show me how to live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, we celebrate with those who made a decision today. Listen, let that not be the first step, uh, the only step, but the first step in your walk with the Lord. We'd love to know if you, if you made that decision. Please text it into our office or come and say something to me in the lobby. I would love to celebrate with you. But church, will you stand? Let's sing one last song before we leave this morning.
Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you guys. Have a wonderful week.